Okay. Well, if you have your Bibles, please turn to John chapter 13. I'd like to do another welcome to everybody that's here, especially some of our visitors. It is wonderful to see you here this morning. Um, please stay behind afterwards. We have coffees and teas and just to interact uh, with some fellowship after that as well. Now, while we look at John chapter 13, I want to sort of present something to you. What is, what is the vision for this church? Not what my vision is for the church, not what your vision is for the church, what is Jesus's vision for the church? What is Jesus's vision for GCC in 2023? <laughs> that rhymes. But anyway, so you have, you know, no, one, no one cares what I think. No one cares what I think. No one cares what my goals are, what my ideas are, unless those goals and those ideas align with the head of the church, align with the good shepherd of this church. So after hearing from our guest speakers over the last several weeks. We had Jono uh, last week who shared with us about, about training, about exercising, about learning to say no to certain things, to say no to all harmful things that we encounter, and to position ourselves in, in a way to hear and recognize the voice of God. The week before that, you had Pastor Thomas who came and talked about successful church building and that it takes everybody doing, everybody doing the right thing in the right way, which I thought was a great lesson from Nehemiah. And we had Martin Fong come and share with us from Isaiah 53 about the suffering servant, our Messiah, who, yes, suffered for us, but then conquered death and is exalted on high and seated at the right hand of God. And so I was praying and seeking God as we're in the first week of February. And I was saying, Lord, what, what is your vision for us? Where do you want to take us? How do you want to shape us? How do you want to develop us? And, and, and prayerfully, prayerfully from today's message, we get just an insight just an insight, a foundational reality from what I've called today Jesus' great example. Jesus' great example. So allow me to open in a word of prayer. I'm not going to read the passage. We're going to work our way through it just because it is a very large passage. But I want you to be open to three wonderful realities that we draw from Jesus' great example. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, as Jono shared and as we sang, thank you that you are so, so good to us, so good to us to, to take us from darkness and bring us into your marvelous light, so, so good to us that you have redeemed us, you have liberated us from the bondage of sin and you have made us new creations in Christ, so good to us that we can call you Father and you call us child. So this morning, I pray as we look at your great example as demonstrated in John 13, you might be good to us now. You might, by your Spirit, open our eyes, that by your Spirit, open our ears, and by your Spirit, convict our hearts about your vision for us. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. By means of context, John chapter 13 is when they are now in the upper room 
and they are sitting around, and it's the great example of service and servitude when Jesus washes the disciples' feet. It's beautiful. It's a beautiful passage, and we're given by John this amazing hindsight. That's one of the blessings of looking back on things, you know. You see things you didn't really notice before, and the Apostle John, by the Holy Spirit, in hindsight, gives us an insight to some things that Jesus does, which I think uh, is just absolutely amazing. It gives us, I guess you could say, an example to follow. It's in these observations that John makes that really struck me, that really impacted me as I looked at Jesus' example here. And it's these three things that stick out. One, it was Jesus' knowledge of his father's timetable. Hold on to that. It was his knowledge of his father's timetable. It was his knowledge of his father's authority, and it was his knowledge of his father's sovereignty. We're going to look at each one of those things very briefly and look at how they apply to each of us. The knowledge of his father's uh, timetable, authority, and sovereignty. First one, the knowledge of his father's timetable in verse 1. Now, I have a timetable at the school I work at. I know what class I'm supposed to be, what, ta- what classroom I'm supposed to be in, what class I'm teaching, and the kids themselves have the same thing in the sense of they know where they're supposed to go, what they're supposed to do, and who they're meeting up with. For example, I did orientation for year seven last week. All they had on their timetable was pastoral care. That was it. Basketball courts. That was it. And then they rocked up and they see me standing there in a t-shirt and shorts, and all the kids are just like, who's this? It was fun, and I got to run around and, and, and make fun of them and yell at them. That's always enjoyable, okay? But I know what I'm doing, where I am, where I'm supposed to be, what's to be expected. Now, you read in verse 1 this. Look up on the screen. It was just before the Passover festival. These two words. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Just like I had a timetable that I adhered to at the school or you might have at your job, Jesus has this timetable of his heavenly Father's plan for humanity's redemption, or to make it more personal, for your redemption for your salvation. And he had told his disciples of this continually. He had said to them in Matthew 16 that he would get to go into Jerusalem and suffer at the hands of the elders and the scribes. So the disciples knew this. He did that in Matthew 16. He he does it in Mark chapter 10, where he warns, not so much warns, informs his disciples, this is what is going to happen. He knew This was his destiny. This was his goal. Of all people in creation, not that Jesus is created, of all people, their purpose, their calling, Jesus is the only person who has ever been born to die. That was his whole purpose for his earthly existence. He only came to die. Now, teenagers like to get snarky at this. Oh, no, we all die. 
I said, well, I'm born to die. I said, yeah, no, you're going to die, but you're not born to die. It's not like you walk around and say, I'm going to die. You don't do that. You don't wake up in the morning and say, I'm going to kill myself. Because if that's what you think your purpose is, jump out in the road right now, stand in front, of car, in front of a car and get run over. No one ever does it. And if they do, I'd lose my job and probably get arrested. But all I'm saying is this is what he adhered to. In John chapter 5, verses 19 and 20, we read how what everything Jesus did was according to what his father wanted. We read this, the son can do nothing by himself. He can do only what he sees his father doing, because whatever the father does, the son also does. For the father loves the son and shows him all he does. Jesus was abiding by a timetable that was not his own. It was his father's will. So when you look at his life, when you look how he was born of a woman, born under the law, and when the fullness of time had come in Galatians 4.4, that was according to God's timetable. Him being about his father's business as a 12-year-old boy, being discovered by his parents, who then grows in stature and in favor with God and man in Luke 2.39-42, that's part of God's timetable. Jesus fulfilled filling righteousness by being baptized by John, the declaration of his father saying, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased in Matthew 3. You have last week the temptation of Jesus in the wilderness in Matthew 4. That was all part of God's timetable. The rejection of the religious leaders who sought to kill him, his fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy, all pointed to the fact that Jesus walked to the beat of a divine drum. That it was according to God's timetable, he did all that he did, that he might proclaim good news to the poor, proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, to liberate the oppressed and proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, Luke 4, 18 and 19. Jesus knew that at this time, Right now, that his hour was coming, or his earthly life, his earthly ministry was coming to an end. And he knew that he had, as he prays in John 17, finished the work the Lord had given him to do. That's the first aspect, the first example. He knew his father's timetable. I want you to hold on to that. What's the first one? That's terrible. He knew his father's timetable. Go. Much better. Much better. I want to hear you next time. Okay, Heather? All right. Okay. All right. The second, I want to hold, we're going to come back around to this. I want you to hold on to that first thing. The second one is the knowledge of his father's authority. Now, there is this Christian apologist I like to listen to by the name of Frank Turek. And he goes into universities. He has debates with non-Christians continually. But usually the public debates are very interesting. And so when all of these non-Christians say to him, well, your morality, well, your view on sexuality, well, your view on marriage, or, or your view on other religions, or, or your view on death, and he is very quick to stop them. As soon as they say, your view, you know what he replies with? It's not my view. It's not my view. This is the creator of heaven and earth. That's his view. It is the God who gave you life. It is his view. It is the God who loves you and sent his son to die for you. 
It's his view. It is the one who is the moral lawgiver to which we abide by. It is his view. None of these views are mine. They are my God's views. And he is the one who gets to say what is right and what is wrong, what is acceptable and what is not acceptable. That's, my, that's, the, that's the stance that I take. And so when you read in verse 3, once again, those two words, Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So not only did he know his Father's timetable or the plan that he lived by and adhered to, he also knew the authority upon which he could stand upon. The authority that could, over nature, that could stop a storm with but a word or cause a fig tree to be fruitless at but a word. The authority over illness as he healed so many people, the centurion's daughter, by not even going there but saying it would be done. Over demons as he commanded them to run into pigs. Over Satan himself that as he, as he destroyed his hold on humanity by dying on the cross and rising again. All while Jesus was, as you read in Hebrews, subject to temptation in every way like we are, and yet without sin. He chose, he, he, he was challenged to fall, and yet he trusted in his Father's plan, and he stood upon his Father's authority. He had proven by the way he conducted himself and how he conducted himself in such a way that even the demons themselves could not help but bow before him. In John chapter 18, verses 36 and 37, before the arrest, uh, sorry, not before the arrest, while he was arrested and before Pilate, we read this, as Pilate tries to suss him out, Pilate's sitting there trying to figure things out, and, and Jesus says this to him, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders, but now my kingdom is from another place. You are a king then, said Pilate. Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. In fact, the reason I was born and came into the world is to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. And if you flip over the page, if you've got your Bibles, turn to this. John chapter 19, verses 8 to 11. Look, I've even said, turn to. Okay, there we go. And this is when we read this. When, so if you're there, I'm sorry, I'm going to start off anyway. When Pilate heard this, he was even more afraid. And he went back inside the palace. Where do you come from? He asked Jesus. But Jesus gave him no answer. Do you refuse to speak to me? Pilate said, and then Pilate drops this. Don't you realize I have power either to free you or to crucify you? Don't you realize I've got power over this? I can give you life or I can give you death. Look at Jesus' response. You would have no power over me if it were not given to you from above. You got nothing, is what he says to Pilate, basically. I love it in John chapter 10 verses 17 and 18, it says this, Jesus, while talking to some of the leaders, he says, I lay down my life that I may take it again. And this is what Jesus says, no man takes it from me. No one can take it from me. No man, I have power to lay it down and I have power to take it up again. 
That's the authority that Jesus knows he has. Why? Because in this verse, it's been given to him in John 13. It's been given to him. It belongs to him and it is his by right. It is his by right as the only begotten son of God, acknowledged by God himself as the spirit descended upon him like a dove. That's the authority the Lord Jesus holds. So we have he knows his father's timetable and we've got he knows his father's authority. What's the second one? What's the first one? Third one. You don't know the third one yet. I haven't told you the third one yet, but thank you, Jono. I appreciate that. Okay. The knowledge of his father's sovereignty. Um, Here's a a side announcement. Um, In April, because we have so many things coming up, we have stuff this month, we have stuff next month, and then we have camp after camp there is a gentleman that I'm asking to come and speak at a men's event. We're having what I like to call our mandate, okay? So we're having our divine mandate in April after camp. And the reason why I haven't confirmed the date is because he is in the midst of chemotherapy. Uh, He's getting aggressive radiation. He has a brain tumor that has basically said, you're dead. And he's he's just, (laughs) I went and visited him and I have never been so encouraged. He's just, he's a brother in the Lord, and I says, how you going, bro? And he says, I completely trust in the sovereignty of God. That if he calls me home, so be it. And if not, so be it. And he takes every opportunity to talk about Jesus. To, and even in this situation, he plays cricket. And he's got a lot of Hindus in his team. And so he's having like sort of vegetarian barbecues so he can tell them about Jesus. He's, he's the head teacher of science at the school I work at. He's using this. He has lunches, so he has time, opportunity to tell them about this, use this to tell them about Jesus. And he says, I am completely contented within the sovereignty of God. His son passed away 2017, who was 12 years old. And he said, I completely trust in the sovereignty of God, even in that. And, he said, and I said to him, I was speak, speaking to him last night, and I said, bro, are you keen on this? And he goes, yeah, look, um, I'll see how I feel but I'm really keen to talk about the sovereignty of God to the men within the church. So uh, once I get a date, I will let you know, but keep in mind that in April after camp, we have our divine mandate, okay? I like to, uh, thank you, Joyce. Joyce came up with that, the mandate. All right, so, okay. So now here's the reality though. We have a mental assent to the sovereignty of God. Yes, God is sovereign, yes. God is boss, yes. But when we're in the midst of trial or struggle or difficulty, we question that sovereignty and think God has made a mistake. Or we think that I'm being punished for something wrong that I've done, especially when I have lived faithfully. And we start to question everything about God and whether he is in control or not. But as we learned from 1 Peter 4 last year, there is blessing in suffering. In the hard times, God is still in control. We read here in verse 11, or sorry, verse 11? Yes, no. Yes, sorry. Um, there we go. We read, For he knew who was going to betray him, and that was why he said everyone, not everyone, was clean. 
The knowledge of God's sovereignty was a comfort to Jesus, even in this circumstance, while he is about to be betrayed by one of his closest friends. He's lived with these guys for three years, these 12 men that he's poured his life into, and he knows he's going to be betrayed by one of them, and yet, even with things going wrong, he's like, okay, because I see a bigger picture from God's perspective and not my own, from God's sovereign control and not my limited vision. And so even though he knows this is going to come about, he understands that whatever it is that lays ahead, his father is still in control. That's amazing. As he was rejected of men and despised, his father was in control. When he was mocked and insulted, his father was still in control. When he was falsely arrested at night, when he was praying, his father was still in control. When he went through a mockery of a trial, when he was scourged and bleeding and losing strength and had a cross on his back to walk to Golgotha, his father was still in control. As he was nailed to a cross, the pain shooting through his arms and through his feet, his father was still in control. When they raised him up and people are saying to him, you saved others, save yourself. Come down from the cross. His father was still in control. When he, when he felt the full brunt for my sin, that separated him from his father and his father turned his back and he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? His father was still in control. Do you understand that? And you know why I know he's still in control? Because as he took upon himself the punishment for my sin, he said, it is finished. God is satisfied with the payment for your sin. God is pleased with the sacrifice that was offered for your sin. And he said, into your hands I commit my spirit. And he gave up the ghost. And you know what the fact of that is? The fact he relied on his father's sovereignty, the fact that he knew his father was still in control, is that three days later, he rose again. Three days later, he conquered death. Three days later, he destroyed and broke the power that Satan had on every single one of our lives. That's why I know he trusted in his father's sovereignty. That's why I know he knew his father's sovereignty. It's why in Romans chapter four, 1, verses 2 to 4, it's actually verse 4 I like. It says that through the spirit of holiness, he was appointed the son of God in power by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ, our Lord. You know what that basically means? It means that everything that he said during his earthly ministry, everything he performed during his earthly ministry, every miracle, every promise that he gave when he rose from the dead proved it to be 100% legit. It was the stamp saying, bam, it's a done deal. Yeah, I stopped doing that, sorry. <laughs> but he says it's, it can be trusted. It can be relied on because Jesus rose from the dead. That's why he had a knowledge of his father's sovereignty. So he knew his father's timetable. He knew his father's authority. And he knew his father's sovereignty. 
Jono, what's the second one? Authority. Authority. He knew his father. Keza, what's the first one? Timetable. It's good. It's good. Kenny, what was that? What was the last one? Wow, bro. Kenny didn't even move his lips. So just, yeah. Thank you very much. It's nice to hear that you're all listening and that you all remember what I'm saying. So the reason why I wanted to look at these three things to begin with is because of the relevance it has to us today, especially regarding vision for 2023. Because I read in verse 15 of John 13 this. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Now, now, this is talking about him washing feet and serving. The greatest of the great, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, humbling himself to wash the feet of his disciples. And that is a wonderful example to follow. That is a wonderful example that we all should adhere to. Regardless of who you are, the age you are, the position you have, that we would be willing to lower ourselves to serve others. That's the example he is making reference to here. I also like the example of what these are that he's given for us. The knowledge of his father's timetable, the knowledge of his father's authority, and the knowledge of his father's sovereignty. I think that is an example for us as well. Not only as individuals within the church, but as a corporate body as a church, that we would know these three things too. See, as stated earlier, we don't fully appreciate the sovereignty of God in our lives, especially in the midst of hard times. It's in those hard times that we question his love for us. We question his faithfulness to us, and we question his presence with us. Nine times, nine times out of 10, or nine people out of 10, when people see bad things happening, our first judgment is, ooh, naughty, 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 what'd you do wrong? Ooh, Pamela, Pamela, Pamela. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's what, it's what we do, don't we? It's what we do. We just sit there, we look, we go, sit Repent. But sovereignty, sovereignty isn't talking about, how can I put this? It's not talking about a dictatorship. So sovereignty is not talking about a tyrant. Sovereignty is not talking about a fascist that has, no, has, has such close control over every little thing that you are restricted in what you do. No, 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 no. Divine sovereignty is God being in control regardless of what happens and allowing you to discover that sovereignty in your circumstance. Uh, A.W. Pink said this. He said, divine sovereignty is not the sovereignty of a tyrannical despot, but the exercised pleasure of the one who is infinitely wise and good. Because God is infinitely wise, he cannot err, meaning he cannot make a mistake. Because he is infinitely righteous, he will not do wrong. In other words, his sovereignty is there to lead us back to himself. When camp, the, the, the surge camp happened, they had a merge night the Sunday they got back. And I've shared this before, I'll share it with you again. And I, I was sharing with them Romans 8.28, which a majority of us know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purposes. But what is the good? And that's what I was trying to share with the kids that night. What is the good? You know what the greatest of all goods are? The greatest of all goods 
is that you know Jesus deeper. That's the greatest good. The greatest good is that in those hardships, in those difficulties, in those times where we may question his sovereignty, is to lead us to himself. That's the greatest of goods, to know him as Savior, to know him as Lord, to know him as Father. This is the example Jesus gives us. This is the example that Jesus shares here, that if we can see through his eyes, meaning that we see as he sees, then we'll be able to view even our perspective, even our circumstances slightly differently. For example, when Jesus, when everyone else saw a tax collector doing his job, Jesus saw the potential for a disciple to follow him in Matthew. When Jesus saw, or when everybody else saw five loaves and two fish to feed the masses, Jesus saw a resource that could glorify himself and feed the thousands of people that were there. When Jesus, oh sorry, when the devil saw torture and death on a cross, Jesus saw his father's sovereign hand breaking down the chains of sin's bondage in a person's life. So you know what I need to do? I need to train myself to see through the eyes of God's sovereignty. It's something that Jonathan Barnett made mention last week when it came to fasting. It's about training yourself, training yourself to do certain things, training yourself to exercise certain ways, training yourself to actually see the hand of God in your circumstance. And to know that he's trying to bring about the fullness of Jesus in me. You, you look at Romans chapter 8, verses 29 and 30, but it says that we are to be conformed to the image of his son. Now, conforming, conforming hurts. Conforming hurts. Why? Because conforming is about pushing something of a strange shape into the shape of something else. So if we're to be conformed into the image of his son, that means us bring our lives into, into alignment with the person of Jesus Christ and who he is. But here's what's even more amazing. The grace of God is such is that not only he get, does he give you the desire to do that, but he enables you to want to do that. Uh, I was sharing with someone just, somebody was sharing with me today. If, if this is your story, please forgive me. I've stolen it. But they were sharing about how when they... Oh, it's Joyce. It's Joyce's one. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. They, they, were, sharing, they were sharing about um, how, how when... You know, oh, I, I don't want to give this up when I come to Jesus. I don't want to do this. If I come to Jesus, I don't want to release this. I don't want to release that. I enjoy this too much. The grace of God is such that when you encounter Jesus, He changes you where you want to... Get rid of those things. Man, even if you don't want to get rid of those things, if you do let them go, for some reason you enjoy it. And you're like, okay. Here's, this is a great example. My love for rugby has dwindled over the past five years. I'm like, yeah, yeah. Now, I, you know me. You know, for those of you who know me for longer than that, you know I'm a bit of a rugby fanatic. Yeah, not so much. And I don't, and the thing is, I don't mind. I don't mind. Why? Because I've discovered something greater in Jesus, and he's done that himself. And I thought, wow, that's amazing. And that just hit me then. How cool is that? 
Say, now you got, maybe I have less sports analogies now. Okay. So may we take those steps to draw near to Jesus so that we might know fully his sovereign hand in our lives. Now here's the thing, this thing and the next thing. The way you discover that is by living it. That's the hard thing. I can talk about it all I want at the front. That's the hard thing, is living it. Having the opportunity to exercise your trust in his sovereignty. Because the same thing falls in line in terms of knowing Jesus' authority. There is this mental assent that Jesus holds all authority. Yes, we know this. The Great Commission, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. And authority he gives to his disciples. I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy, Luke 10, 19. We are told in James to resist the devil and he will flee from you, not on my authority or my power, but on the authority and power of Jesus Christ. For greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world, in 1 John chapter 4, verse 4. But it is an ascent that very rarely progresses from here in the mind to here in the heart. It very rarely progresses. Progression is a wonderful word. C.S. Lewis defines the word progression as this, moving forward to an improvement. Moving forward to an improvement. That is a progression. Now, everybody is different, and I've noticed the reality of authority has to be expressed in order to be experienced. Let me explain. Jimmy, Jimmy Lee, CEO. That dude, sorry, that dude, that gentleman, that gentleman has authority. He walks in and it's like, hey, yeah, uh, Jono, uh, do some work. <laughs> do some work. Okay? And Jono is like, yes, sir, Jimmy, sir. Okay? And he'll do his work. All right? Chris, she holds authority in her business. That's why when I go to her business, I feel comfortable in her presence. Because no one can tell me what to do while she's there. Okay? She holds authority. Jesus is one who exercised authority and then granted us that same authority in Jesus' name. He's given, but you don't discover that authority by sitting here on the seat in the pulpits. In the pulpit, that's a pulpit. In the pews. You don't experience, you don't get to exercise the authority. You don't know the richness of God's word if you're never living God's way. You don't. That's why it's important for us to know the authority that we have in Jesus Christ, but you don't know the fullness of it if you don't live it out, if you don't take that step of faith, if you don't make the choice not to look at certain things or not to go to certain places. You don't get to experience that authority and the victory that has been given to us in Jesus Christ. John Stott says this, his authority on earth allows us to dare to go to all the nations. His authority in heaven gives us our only hope of success and his presence with us leaves no other choice. That's why it's so important even for us to follow Jesus' example and to know his authority as well. Regarding Jesus' timetable, we know, we know, we're told in the Scriptures, we know He is coming back. We know that the angel made known to the witnesses at His ascension in Acts 1.11, the same Jesus who went from you in this manner will so return in like manner. We know that that's going to happen. 
We've been told in the pages of Scripture to await His return, that we're to sanctify ourselves and to be ready to give an answer to anyone who asks us a reason for the hope that is in us with meekness and fear. We are told to observe the signs of the times, to watch, because we don't know when the Lord will come. And while we may not know exactly what the timing is, we have been graciously told what we are to be doing and how we are to be living. What are we to be doing? Live holy, for he is holy. What are we to be doing? To, to love the Lord our God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love others as ourselves. What are we meant to be doing? To go into all the world and make disciples. What are we to be doing? As you've been, if you've been looking at the devotionals, I counted them today, we've done 25 one another's in the devotionals. 25 of loving one another, of encouraging one another, of, of, of living in harmony with one another, of being united with one another, of forgiving one another. We know how, we, we know what are we supposed to be doing. We know how we are supposed to be living. But the lie of the devil is this, that we can never know or that we're incapable of recognizing the plans or timetable of the Lord. But, John O shared this, but we have been given his very mind. I would encourage you to read 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 12 and 16. But it talks about us having the very mind of Christ. A timetable is laid out for us in the very pages of Scripture. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 to 5, we are told that in the last days, people will be lovers of themselves and disobedient to parents and boastful and this and that. So we are told that there are various things that we need to be aware of. And it's a calling. We're told we have a calling that has eternal consequences for me. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, it says that whatever I do, whether eating or drinking, do all to the glory of God and for others. Let your light so shine before men that people may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Now, with such knowledge as this, I mean, I've given you a lot. I've given you a heap of information. And it's possible for us to be somewhat overwhelmed. Overwhelmed. Wow, I need to, to know the sovereignty of my Father. I need to, to know the authority of the Lord Jesus. I, I need to know the timetable of God. That's so much. And we can be thinking, it's, it's, beyond, it's beyond me. Yeah, yeah, it is. It's beyond me too. But here's what's really exciting. We can know. As much as it can appear when I say, can I accept his sovereignty in my life? Can I submit to his authority? Can I see and recognize his timetable? The basic, most simplistic answer is yes. You can. You can. It's not beyond us. It's not reserved to the pastors or the older uncles and aunties. It's not reserved for, for the ministers and the missionaries. It's not reserved. It's not reserved for any of those people. It's, it's, it's for all of us as the children of God to know, to experience, and to live out. Richard Foster said this. He actually says it you know, several times. He says, we must not be led to believe that such things are only for spiritual giants and hence beyond our reach, far from it. God intends the spiritual life to be for human beings, people who have jobs, who care for children, who wash dishes and mow lawns. In fact, the disciples 
the disciplines, spiritual disciplines, are best exercised in the midst of our relationships with our husband or wife, our brothers and sisters, our friends and neighbors. Thus, as I look at the vision for GCC in 2023, I see the Lord meeting with us. I see the Lord drawing us to him, training us to know and to trust his sovereignty, equipping us to recognize and submit to his authority, enthusing us to abide and adhere to his timetable. You know why I know this? In verse 17, we read this. Now that you know them. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. There's a uh, person who said, I've, I've shared this many, many, many times. But he says this, the things you do next with the information you've received, with the challenges that have been laid out, he said that will reveal to you what you believe about God. Now here's the thing, here's the thing, here's the thing. I think it's a great line, I think it's a great line. But don't ever take away from the fact that the Lord Jesus wants you to get to know him personally. He's drawing you to himself. He's drawing you to know his timetable for you. For you to know his authority over your life. And for you to know his sovereignty in your life. And I pray that as we move on here, I mean, we'll be looking at this over the next couple of weeks in February, but I'm praying that we'll go a little bit more deeper with each week as we discover, as we train, as we position ourselves to hear what our Lord is doing in our hearts. You have been so, so good to us. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for coming, for dying, for raising again so that we might have life, so that we might have forgiveness, so that we might have renewal. Thank you for the example you have given us. And I pray that we, as your people, as we leave from here, would know personally your timetable, your plan for each of our lives. That we would know personally the authority and the rule you have over us. And that we would know personally the sovereignty and the control you have over us. We ask for you, Lord, to be Lord in our lives, to reign in our hearts, to glorify your name. So we ask you to dismiss us now, and we thank you in Jesus' mighty name. And all God's people said, Amen.